uh, correcting and adjusting and making all kinds of changes and all that stuff. So it takes a little bit of time, so be patient with us a little bit, and uh, we'll get it together. But anyway, so they're doing a great job, but it's like fresh and kind of new to us, so we're getting, we're getting there. You know, last week, uh, we wrapped up our series on six questions every church should ask, and, and we kind of talked last week about time and about how we use our time and the time of God and to redeem our time, to use our time wisely. And then at the end of the service, I invited uh, anyone that wanted to and said, you know, this is my time. This is our time as a church. I want to be a part of what God is doing in this place, in this time. And so I invited anyone that would like to to come up and sign this rock. And, and I was uh, blown away by like just the numbers of people who said, I'm in. You can count on me during this time. I want to be a part of what God is doing here. And so the rock, you know, is just staying right here this week again. And there's some more pens up here. Perhaps you missed last week and you go, I am in. I want to be a part of what God's doing. I wasn't here last week or I didn't have an opportunity or I had other things to do, but I would love to do that when the service is over today. I would just invite you again, come and join all these folks that have signed this rock to say, I'm in and I'm a part of what God is doing here. You know, I know we kind of missed this uh, in the course of worship this morning, and I don't want to have you miss this opportunity. So why don't you stand up again, say hello to people around you, greet them, say, say hi to like 70 or 80 people this morning. I shared this uh, a couple of weeks ago with our uh, kind of our men's Bible study on Friday morning, and I was thinking about how um, in my life there are some significant people that continue to have in the past or continue to like just encourage me, develop me, pray for me. They're influential people in my life, and I, I talked about how what are the top five, who are the top five women in my life? Who are the top 10 women in my life who either have influenced me in the past, whether they were a part of my life in the past and have gone, or whether they're in my life right now? Who are the top five? Who are the top 10? And if you're a guy, who are the top 10 women that are in your life, the top five? If you're a married person, your wife ought to be one of those top ones. If you're a female person, who are the top five men in your life or the top 10 could you think about that? Who are the most influential people in your life, men or women in your life? Who are those people? Well, two of my top five are here today. They're not always with us, but Jean, my wife, and then Jessica, and Jessica helped with worship team this morning. Those are two of my top five. They may not always want to be in that top five category, but they are, like it or not, they're in there. But think about that for you. Who are those people that influence you? 
especially if you're a guy, who are the top five women that are really key and important in your life? Your mom, your sister, whoever that is. Friend, work associate, whoever that is, who are those top five? And if you're a woman, same thing. Who are those for you? Because you're also that for someone else. There's a good chance that you're one of the most influential people into some other people's lives. In a very good way, how are you doing that? How are you doing at that? Well, that's just a little sidelight, but I, I wanted to just use that this morning. But today, it's kind of a little bit of a, a kind of a standalone talk, because we've just completed the series on six questions, and we're launching into Advent beginning next week. Can you believe that? How many people's Christmas shopping is like done already? Yeah, good luck. Yeah, oh, wow, okay, all right. I've got my list afterwards, I'll talk to you. Anyway, so it's happening. Like Advent is happening and Christmas. That stuff is just right around the corner. But today, today I, I want to focus on something a little bit different. What would Jesus say to Hope Church? What would he want to say to Hope Church today? What's a word that he would say to Hope Church? I think Jesus would say, be dangerous. Be dangerous. Now let me ask you a question. Should a church or a follower of Jesus be safe or dangerous? Should we be comfortable or radical? Should we be fully devoted or play it safe? Which would describe you if you're a follower of Jesus? Are you a play it safe person? Or are you a take a risk person for God? I know that when some people hear that word dangerous, they think of like a dangerous dog, like some dog that's going to go after you and harm you and hurt you. I'm not using the word in that way at all today. I'm talking about more using dangerous in a very positive way. Like we might say that uh, some people are dangerous in a good way. Stephon Curry is dangerous on the basketball court. You know, the Arizona Cardinals are dangerous in the NFL right now, right? Right. They're doing great. They're dangerous in a good way. So, if we're to be dangerous followers of Jesus, who are we to be dangerous to? Who are we to be dangerous to? I think there's only really one answer to that question. I think the church is to be dangerous. I think we're to be dangerous followers of God, followers of Jesus. I think we're to be dangerous to the evil one. We're to be a dangerous person and a dangerous church to the evil one. Because he has his schemes, his plots, and all of that stuff, but we can be dangerous to him. And that's a good thing. That's who we're to be dangerous to. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and all the powers of hell. All the powers of hell will not conquer it. We're to be an empowered group of people with the power of God. We're to stand for God. We're to stand with God. We're to allow God to use us against evil in our world. Safe or dangerous? The reality is, is that a safe church is rarely a threat to the enemy. A safe church is rarely a threat to the enemy. Satan isn't worried about safe churches. He's worried about dangerous churches that are advancing the kingdom of God against the kingdom of evil. That bothers Satan. Let me just share a few things that I think. Here are some qualities of a safe church. A safe church strives to keep members happy. 
It doesn't upset anyone. A safe church avoids controversial issues. It doesn't take on hard issues and it never offends anyone. A safe church remains cautious. It doesn't try new things. And it's afraid to try new things. Its favorite phrase is, we've always done it this way. Familiar phrase? A safe church is cautious. While it's very tempting to play it safe and be comfortable with God, and we know that God calls us to some incredible things, God calls us to be kind and caring and loving and accepting. That is true, and those aren't necessarily easy things. But God never intended for the church to play it safe, especially in a world that is full of all kinds of evil, danger, whatever. Now, maybe you've seen signs before that are like, you know, use at your own risk for whatever it is. I have a big sign in our house. It's about that, by about that. It's pretty big, and it, it says, swim at your own risk. You've seen signs like that that say, whatever that is, at your own risk. Swim at your own risk, ski at your own risk, ride at your own risk. A friend of mine, when he was a kid, his dad was a truck driver and drove all over Indiana and all over Illinois, and sometimes as a kid he'd ride with his dad, and they would always stop at this kind of like this, one of his favorite sort of cheap uh, roadside um, little restaurants, cheap truck stops, and there was a sign as you entered in over the top of the entryway that said, eat at your own risk. That's a little bit scary. But today, today I want to focus on four, I want to kind of spotlight four high-risk, dangerous prayers. So if you've got your notes, you might want to pull that out. I think these are four dangerous prayers that followers of Jesus need to seriously consider if they're going to seriously follow God and walk with God. I think they're prayers that when we pray them, we have no idea of what God might do through us and in us as individual people and as a church. So here we go. Here's the first one. This comes from David's courageous prayer in Psalm 139 where he prays, search me, search me. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Let's just stop right there. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Well, let's say that together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Now think about that for just a minute, what you're saying, Okay. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Huge right there for us who have a relationship with God, or if we're building a relationship with God, or if we're on track, we're trying to put some of the pieces together with God. Search me, God, and know my heart. Huge for us. See if there is any offense, offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Psalm 139, David is praying and he's, he's overwhelmed by the goodness of God. The context of this psalm is that he is just pouring out to God the goodness of God, the God that created him, that understands all about him, that loves him, that has walked with him, that has created a pathway to organize his steps, to follow hard after God. He's overwhelmed passionately with the God that loves him. And he's, he's just expressing that to God. God, I love you. You are so unbelievable. You've done so many things. You've guided me and directed me in my life. 
And then there comes this little place in there in verse 21 and 22 of Psalm 139 where he says, God, I hate those who hate you. Because he thinks about it a little bit. He says, there are people who are just totally opposed to you, God. They're going, not only going away from you, God, but it is like it is their passion to disrupt godly things. They don't want to have anything to do with you. They guide people away from you. And David says, I, I hate those people who hate you. I have nothing but hatred for them. And David says this, and this is really essential. And David says, I don't get it, God. How could any human being that you've created and loved and formed and fashioned and placed them into the earth, how could anyone resist being a follower of yours, being someone that honors you and cares about you? I just don't get it, God. How could anyone turn their back, turn their face, turn their life away from you? You are such an incredible God. And then this thought comes into David's mind. It's a thought. It's, it's like a piercing thought. It's like a lightning bolt strikes David at this, at this time. And that little lightning bolt says, but what about you, David? What about my heart? Is there something in my heart that isn't right before God? Is there an area of my life that I'm not fully surrendered to God? Is there some small closet that I've held closed away from God where I'm trying to hide out something in my life that doesn't belong there? And David is overwhelmed with that thought because he doesn't want anything to disrupt his relationship to God. He wants to have a dynamic, open relationship with God, nothing hidden from God, no closets, no small secrets. He, he wants God to know of any small, if there's any small offense in me, God. I don't want it there. So God, search me, which is a dangerous prayer. Because when we ask God to search us, He'll do it. The Holy Spirit will immediately put the floodlight on our lives in those areas that we hold away from God that we try to hide from God. God's Holy Spirit will immediately go right to that place. And He'll shine His light and He'll dispel the darkness that we try to hide from God. Wow. An extraordinary, extraordinarily courageous prayer that David prays. God, search me. Expose whatever it is by Your power and by Your grace. Expose whatever is in my life because I don't want one thing. I don't want the littlest, smallest thing to deprive me of having an open life before you. To pray the search me prayer is a dangerous prayer. We don't pray the search me prayer a lot of times because we don't want God's light to go. We know exactly what God will do. We pray that dangerous prayer, God ex examine my life. Look into my life, anything that's in the way. We don't pray that's prayer. Because we know exactly where the light of God would go. We know some habit that we have in our life that's not right before God. We know a relationship that's out of focus with God that God will beam right into and say, got to clear that up. Got to make that right. Want to breathe into you? You want to be a person before me? Got to allow me to take control of that area of your life. Sometimes we don't pray that search me prayer because it's a dangerous prayer. God will shine his light upon it. 
And we have to decide what we're going to do when God shines His light onto those areas of our life that we try to keep hidden from Him. We have to decide, will I allow God to illuminate? Will I ask God and really say, God, I really do want you to change that area of my life? Will I allow God to say, God, I am, will I allow myself to say, God, I'm so sorry. Please make me right before you and transition me through that. The Holy Spirit will do that. Some of us need to pray that search me prayer today. We want to move forward with God, but we've got some hidden areas in our life and we go, you know what? God, I can't move forward with you until I admit I need your help. I admit I've got to get out from under that. I admit, you know what? That's what's dragging me down. I know it. Search me. Search me. The second dangerous high-risk prayer is this. Stretch me. Stretch me. In the first century, when the, when the early church was being developed and built, the Romans and others were persecuting the Christians. And sometimes they were being dragged off and hunted down and beaten and even killed for their faith in Jesus. In Acts 4, we read this. We read that, that, that those believers got together in the early church and they decided that they needed to pray together. And so they prayed so they prayed a stretch me prayer. In Acts 4:29 they prayed this, "Now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness." They prayed a stretch me prayer. They prayed a stretch me prayer. Lord, when the soldiers come in and they knock on the door and they pull us out, give us boldness, give us courage. When they pull us into the Colosseum, when we're beaten for your cause, God, would you give us strength to stand? Would you make our faith secure? Would you allow us to speak who you are with great boldness? God, would you stretch our understanding of our faith in you? Would you provide? Would you stretch our faith? What a prayer to be stretched by God. There was a man named Nicodemus that came to Jesus. He was a religious leader. He knew all about religious things of the day. He came to Jesus, it says, he came to Jesus at night. And he was trying to figure out what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And I think when he went to Jesus, I think he came to Jesus with a kind of a stretch me prayer. God, stretch, God, stretch my understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. What is that? And Jesus said, you know, Nicodemus, you're not going to understand anything until you become born again. And that's a stretch me thing, isn't it, for Nicodemus? He's got to figure out, what in the world are you talking about, Jesus? Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, I've got to, I've got to help you understand the context of who I am. But you have to be willing to stretch in your understanding and commit to me. And you know, it's really interesting because Nicodemus He's ready to be stretched. He's willing to be stretched. He comes to Jesus to be stretched. When you and I need to be stretched, we need to go to God. We need to go to the right place to get stretched. And that's to Jesus. Stretch me, God. I don't know if you're like me, but maybe you're in a long line of people, and I'm not the most patient person in line. I'm not. And there are times when I have to, like, pray God stretch my patience. 
or maybe I'm moving down the road, or maybe there's someone that comes across my life path, and they're, they've, got, they've got some issues to deal with, and they're definitely have, they've got to take care of some stuff, and I'm, I'm crossing their path, and I want to get quickly by them and moving on with my, left, with my life. And sometimes God has to say, I need to, to stretch your compassion. It's God, I need to stretch your compassion here. Take some time with this person. They may need a word from you. They may need help from you. You may need to serve them. Those are stretch me for a stretch my patience, stretch my compassion, stretch my life. Stretch me. Stretch me prayers are powerful, but they're risky. When in the Bible did God ever call anybody to do anything easy? When did God ever interrupt someone's life and say to them, you know, I I want to do something in your life, but it's not going to be that difficult. It's not going to be that challenging. Won't cost you any time, won't cost you any resources, any money. Of course, the answer is never. God never asks that of us. It's always challenging when God comes to our life. The early church believers prayed, stretch our boldness. Stretch our ability to stand with you. We pray for those who are persecuting us. Stretch our lives. And God answered those prayers of those people. And they stood for God. Even when they were being dragged off, God was with them. They stood for God. They stood strong. Nicodemus, when he prayed, stretch my understanding, eventually he did have his understanding illumined by Jesus. He became a follower of Jesus he allowed God to stretch his, his whole ex- experience with God. God totally transformed and changed his life. God will, when we pray, stretch me. God will stretch our lives. But be careful when you pray the stretch me prayer because God will stretch your life. Maybe for some of you today, you came just to hear that, that God wants to stretch your understanding, your compassion, your patience, your boldness, your reliance on Him. Maybe today your prayer needs to be the stretch me prayer. God, stretch me. I need to be stretched. I need to understand that it's not just easy things you call me to. You call me to life with you. God will answer it, but you have to pray it. Here's the third one, lead me. The lead me prayer. Over the years, I've tried to listen when, when fo- those who are followers of Jesus explain a little bit about some decision that they've made. And they use little phrases like this, well, I just felt prompted. I felt nudged by God. I felt led by God. You know those phrases? Have you heard those? Or maybe you've said those? You've known that in your own life? I felt prompted by God. I felt led by God. It's, it's a curious thing about how God leads a person. Exodus 15, 13 says this, In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. By your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. You will lead them. You will guide them. That's the lead me prayer. That's that's the lead me, God. Lead my life. Lead me in a path. Lead me and guide me because I need leading. I want to be led. It's not always easy to be led. It's not always to hear how God prompted somebody and then led them. Some years ago, I was in South Africa. I was with a a church, and we took a group of people to work in South Africa. And we were in townships, 
in Cape Town, and townships are, um, townships are the separation of the black community from the white community, and townships are uh, entirely uh, African black. And in the township we were in, it was about 100,000. It's kind of a squalor of a place. The only two good buildings in the entire township of about 100,000, which is just across the freeway from another township of about 100,000, but the only difference and the only good buildings in the township we were in is there was a school, it was a grammar school, and then there was the church that had just been built, a new building, and we went to be and work with this church in this township. And when I was there, there was a, a young woman in the church there, and she was about 21 or 22 years old. And in conversations with her, I noticed also as we were working with this church that there was a, a group of young men and young women, kind of upper high school and sort of what would be college age in their early 20s, around her. I said, what is, what is that about? What's going on here? She said, well, in the township here, the townships are oftentimes kind of run by gangs. And there were these gangs of, of uh, young, there was a, a particular gang of young men that uh, did drugs and sold drugs and you know, did all kinds of stuff, stole everything, whatever, and she felt God had said to her, and her name is Babalwa, and she said, I felt God told me to go and begin a relationship with this group of young men. And so she began to go and find out where the leader of this gang was and where he hung out and where the kind of group hung out, and she went over to, she started to go over to that house and kind of be around them, and she would take some water, and she'd take a few items with her, and just kind of tried to hear their story and get to know them a little bit, and nothing really happened. But she kept praying, and she kept praying, and she kept listening to God, and she kind of let that go for a while, but a year later, God said to her again, no, I want you to go to be a part of this group of this gang, this kind of group of men. So she did. She went back uh, in, in a year and she started to, again, reestablish some relationships with this group that was like totally going the other direction. And in the course of that time, they finally turned to her as she would show up with them and she would bring food to them and she would just listen to them. And they finally said, well, what do you want? What are you about? And she was able to begin to talk to them about who Jesus was. And, and soon she started a Bible study with them in their place and just kind of walking through the Bible with them about who they were. And then, and then some of them began to receive Jesus and then some began to come to the church. And then they began to work with church and work with littler kids and begin to help. And, and uh, it's a, an amazing thing was happening. And, and this group that's totally chaotic and totally lost from God just rearranged because this one person said, God, just lead me. I said to her, I said, Babalwa, weren't you scared? And she said, yes. But without missing a beat, she said, but God told me to do it. Hmm. She said, yes, but God told me to do it. A lead me prayer is dangerous because when we say, God, lead me, do we mean yes, and then do we follow through and go, I'll do what you ask me to do. That's a challenging, challenging prayer. That's the lead me prayer. Perhaps we've talked about search me and stretch me and lead me, but perhaps the most vital one of all is the fourth one, and that's use me. Use me is always challenging. Use me is willing to say, I'll do whatever, God. Not just leading me, but use me. 
Ephesians 2.10, this incredible verse says, we are, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You and I were created for good works. God created us for a purpose. Some of us say, I'm not so sure that God could really use me. I'm not that big a deal. I'm not that significant. I'm not all that much. Some of us say things like, I don't really have that much to offer. I'm not that talented. I'm not that gifted. I don't know. I don't, you know, yeah, God used me, but really, I, what do I have to use? What, who am I? Maybe you really wish you, you had more to offer, and you just don't see how you could be of use to God. Well, let me introduce you to somebody who said, I want to be used by God. I want to be used by God beyond my circumstances. So I want you to watch this video piece. You know, I think a lot of people are waiting on God to change the circumstance, to really be truly content in the Lord Jesus. But if you're not truly content in what Jesus has already done for you, you do not know what He's really done for you. Um, and that has set me free. And that has given me a platform to believe in miracles, but at the same time, not have to wait for miracles to happen before my joy in Jesus is true and full. Growing up in church, you know, every Sunday, singing that song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, to believe that God loves us requires a lot of faith. Because I had a lot of questions. If God loved me, then why did He let me be born this way? If God can do all miracles and anything that I ask, He can do it, then why doesn't He give me arms and legs when I ask Him to relieve me of my pain? I wanted to know the answer. I actually felt that God, for some reason, wasn't listening. For some reason, didn't answer my prayer. Um, and I was starting to think that He wasn't real. What was so, um, I guess, really difficult to get through were the years between ages 8 and 12. I was actually the first uh, special needs child to be integrated into a mainstream school. Um, being the only one with no arms and no legs, of course, and in a wheelchair, I had a lot of unwanted attention, um, feeling depressed, feeling alone. And at age 10, I actually tried to commit suicide by drowning myself in six inches of water in my family bathtub. After a whole day of being bullied and teased, I just didn't want to live anymore. By the grace of God, on the third time I rolled over in my family bathtub, I saw my mum and my dad crying at my grave. I saw that pain that I would leave behind, and I decided to stay. But I went through depression because no one could heal my heart. No money, no amount of friends, no amount of education or things that I quote unquote needed to get through my daily life. It just couldn't heal my heart. Finally, at age 15, God answered my prayer. It was when I read John chapter 9. A man was born blind, born with a disability that no one could actually explain. And that sort of sounded familiar to me. People asked Jesus, why was this man born blind? And Jesus said it was done so that the works of God would be revealed through him. And faith came over me. Hearing of the word produces faith. It is a gift. It is not 
a focus that you can muster up inside. It is a gift given from God when you hear the promises through His Word. And that changed my life. He healed my heart, and now I can be an instrument in His hand to let people know, as a miracle, seeing His strength perfected in my weakness that would have otherwise been not as powerful. It's more powerful seeing a man without arms and legs smiling than someone who got their miracle. What about for the people who didn't get their miracle? And for anyone who's watching right now who thinks that God doesn't have a purpose and what can God ever do with me? Well, look what God did with me. If God can use a man without arms and legs to be his hands and feet, there is not one person watching this program where God can't use their broken pieces too. Now I want to quote Romans 8:28, where it says, All things come together for the good for those who love Him. You know, I thought that the greatest burden in my life was my circumstance. It is not. The greatest burden in your life is not your circumstance. The greatest burden in your life is you not being able to see your life clearly through God's eyes knowing that He knows that He's going to be with you and He's going to pull you through, that all things come together for the good. Even the worst part of your life up to this point, God is so big, so mighty, so gracious that He can turn it into some good. If I was born without arms and legs and God did not give me arms and legs miraculously for one soul, bring it on. God can use you. God can use me, just like Nick. Just like Nick who said, God, use me. I don't have it all together. I may not have everything, but I'm willing to be used by you. Can God use you? You bet. Those are the dangerous prayers we pray, but when we pray them, wow, is God blessed and honored. When we pray them, our life is expanded. When we pray them, we live right at that edge with God, the edge of excitement and experience and joy. We live with hope because we pray those prayers. We live empowered when we pray those prayers. So why don't you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we know that for some of us today, we, we came because we need to start off a kind of that very first prayer, God, would you, would you search me? Would you search me and really know my heart? Would you know that inside of me, God, there may be some hidden things away that, that God, I just need to get rid of to move forward? Some of us need to pray that search me prayer. Search, search us, God. Search our heart today. Maybe for you it's the stretch me prayer. Stretch my understanding, my compassion, my 
my patience, my wholeness. Stretch me in your way, God. If that's you today, just take a moment and just pray that prayer. Pray, God, stretch me. I don't get it all. I'm trying to put some things together. I, I, need, I need to grow in you. Maybe it's the lead me prayer. I need to be obedient to following you, God. I need, I need to be obedient when you call me to something that I would follow and follow well. Would you lead me? Would you be the one, not me? Would you lead my life? I've been trying. It's not working. God, would you lead me? But for all of us, God, it's would you use me? No matter who we are with whatever limitations or circumstances or whatever we think we have, that's not it, God. We know that you created each and every one of us for a purpose and a plan. So maybe that's your prayer today is, God, would you use me in this place, in this time, in this community, would you use my life? Jesus, we pray you'd bless each of us in this room today. That with the challenges of what you want to speak into each of our hearts, to follow you and walk with you. We pray that, Jesus, in your name. Amen.